U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan visited Israel last week for meetings with his Israeli counterpart, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and a host of senior Israeli officials. On the agenda reportedly, Iran, Saudi-Israel normalization, Ukraine, and the Palestinians. How did Sullivan's meetings really go? And what should we expect from Israel's national security establishment over the weeks and months ahead? Joining us to help see the world from Jerusalem, former Netanyahu National Security Advisor Jacob Nagel. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We needed a break after uh, that, that epic episode with, with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, a lot of really good feedback. Uh, and you know, just thank you again to the Prime Minister for taking the time. I got to say, you know, podcasters are people too, okay? Just remember that. Podcasters are people too. I mean, I was just going everywhere saying, where is the pod? I'm waiting. I'm on vacation. That's, and I that's right. I just need the pod. Okay, it's here. It's here. We got that's a great right. episode. Right. Jacob Nagel, you're going to love him. He's a reserve general, uh, brigadier general in the IDF, Professor Jacob Nagel, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and a visiting professor at Technion. From January 2016 to May 2017, Jacob served as the head of Israel's National Security Council and as Prime Minister Netanyahu's National Security Advisor. He led negotiations for that last 10-year MOU between the U.S. and Israel, MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding that guides U.S. defense assistance to Israel. He provided technical assessments to governments who were negotiating the Iran nuclear deal back in 2015-2016, and he also headed a key research and development committee that decided to develop the Iron Dome. Longtime veteran of the elite Israeli Signals Intelligence Unit, known as 8200, Jacob Naga, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really happy being here. It's an honor to have you. Uh, obviously, as you've written about, and as we've talked about on the show, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was in Israel just last week. And ahead of that trip, you had a column saying his meetings in Israel should really be about three things, Iran, Iran, and Iran. Uh, the readout that we've seen in the press and, and from the White House seems to be a bit broader, of course, but would love to hear your initial take on the visit and the outcome of the meetings. First of all, you know, when, when uh, Netanyahu, when he was prime minister in his previous uh, position, uh, term, uh, he met Pompeo in Portugal. Then I say that He'd been asked uh, what will be the point to talk. He said Iran, Iran, and Iran. This time I didn't say Iran, Iran, and Iran. I said don't confuse yourself. Iran should be the number one topic. I hope it will be the only one, but it was, will not. Israel will come with few uh, points. And I'm sure Sullivan and next week Blinken will come with his own uh, points. Israel will have to emphasize the Iranian issue and uh, talking about, and it's very, very connected to, uh, about the Saudi, and again, I don't like to say, even everyone say, to, you know, uh, put Saudi on the table or put them on the Abraham Accords because the Saudis don't like it. The Saudis want to do, if it will happen, something with Israel, and then let's call it the Saudi Accord, and then everyone will join it. So it will be the second thing. And those are the only two uh, things that I, I opt that they will talk. I'm sure, I was sure that the American side 
would like to talk about the Palestinian issue, not a problem because there is no Palestinian problem, the Palestinian issue, and uh, I'm sure they would, they would like to talk about the Chinese uh, problem uh, and some other uh, issues uh, on the table. Uh, what I said, there are three issues that when Netanyahu came to term this time, and I'm telling you, knowing, and he also said it, he have three main goals in his term. I don't, I'm not saying it's his last term, last before last, or, but he have three things on his mind. It's Iran, it's Saudi, and it's, he have some internal issues. So I said, some people didn't like it, but this is my view and I support it, that if the Americans will come and will try to ask questions about uh, the internal issues of Israel, I know even some, some of my friends in FDD don't agree with me on this one. We should tell him politely, gently, look, this is not your issue. I will never think that the Prime Minister of Israel, I know I'm not, I'm not comparing, but I don't think that the Prime Minister of Israel will come to the Oval Office and will ask uh, Trump, Obama, or Biden, or I don't know who will be the president in 24, uh, how come that uh, the United States did those changes about the abortion? It will be uh, not polite, it will be uh, chutzpah in Israeli. So I'm not saying if Sullivan or Blinken will ask, it will be chutzpah. We have to tell him, look, we have some issues, internal issues in Israel. This is our government, the new one. We will do it according to law. We are going to continue to obey the law. So let's leave out the internal issues show, and I, I hope that we are not going to talk about those internal issues in the next 45 minutes. Now, J Jacob, going back, you just, going back, now, this is what got they, a lot to unpack there. It's a lot to yeah, unpack yeah. there. Now, now, this is the introduction. Now, what happened in the, uh, and you saw, uh, I just said today with Ariel Kana, it went out very polite when they had the press conference, like everything, okay, let's cooperate. Uh, in inside the doors, I can tell you, without revealing anything, Every point of every side was on the table. So to say that Israel didn't say anything about the Iranian issue or about some Americans like Robert Mali meeting uh, an, an, an Iranian ambassador and, Amer and how come that Netanyahu didn't shout about it in the press conference? In the room, every issue that Israel thinks about Iran was on the table. And of course, asking the United States to cooperate with us. Jacob, that's, let me ask you, Rich, if you don't mind. Uh, no, my, go ahead. I want to come back to that Mali point because that, yeah, that yeah, really no, has also been confirmed uh, yet in the press. So. Also yeah. known as Rich's best friend, Rob Mali. But, um, He's my best friend. No, no I know. Um, so, Jacob, my question is this, and I ask this of a lot of our guests who kind of think a lot about the Iran issue. Um, is there a solution to the Iranian issue that does not involve military action against the sure. regime? Sure, very simple one. There are two simple answers. Very, very not simple, but I, I call it simple. First one, again, we are a democracy, so we are not routing by it, but maybe it will happen. For the first time since the Shah went down, there is maybe, maybe a possibility that the Iranian people will take down the regime. So there is going to be a regime change, and the new regime will understand that it's better for Iran they can be Switzerland of the area, they will abandon their, uh, you know, wishes or dreams or aspirations about being a nuclear uh, hegemony and ruling from 
Tehran to uh, the Middle, Middle East via the Mediterranean, Iraq and, and, and Syria, and I don't know what, Turkey, I don't know what. This is one solution. And the second solution is if there will be a, a diplomatic solution, like it happened in Libya or others, that Iran will be, uh, I call it, blocked on all paths, on all issues, forever, from being a nuclear threshold company or a nuclear state. Ask me if it will happen uh, by negotiations, no way. But this is the only two solutions that we don't have to use force. Now, when I say force, it's not all, always only 250 planes going and, and, and dropping bombs. There are at least 15 to 20 ways. I can talk about them in the unclassified issue also. There are at least 15 or 20 ways how to do it without kinetic war. It will be part of the part of the parameters or part of the tools will be kinetics, but it's not the only one, maybe not even the, real, the, 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 the first one. So there are solutions. I'm not optimistic that one of the two will happen. And, and Jacob, maybe that's the thing that sort of gets lost is that, you know, when we, when people think of like uh, war as a, as a, they think of kinetic war, but I think you put point out that like, that can mean lots of things that can mean Many cyber things. that can mean covert that can mean you know any number of things short of the 250 bombers um which is what sort of uh americans at least think about when they think about war and, and frankly um, americans post the iraq war think boots on the ground that's the right. first imagery we have even before you even think of airstrikes or tomahawks I, things like I that i understand so. i don't see boots on the ground of israelis in iran maybe if maybe if what should happen, will happen, and United States, UK, France, Germany, NATO will be part of the world because the Iranian problem is not an Israeli one, it's a world problem. Maybe you will see other boots on the ground. I don't think we need, but I'll give you five examples of things that happened during the last few months in Iran. Some people say it's Israel uh, doing, some people say no, but I don't know. People are coming to gas stations, they cannot pump gas. People are coming to banks, they cannot withdraw uh, money from the ATMs. People are trying to take something in the out of the Bandar Abbas uh, uh, Arbor. All the database of the cargo uh, systems is down, and for a few weeks you cannot uh, say it, take anything. Some, pic some movies from the prison going out like torturing. Uh, you, are, you are going to the train station, and it's written on the screen. No trains today if you have a problem. Call the leader uh, office. Here is the number. You are. Uh, you see uh, the Khamenei, uh, the leader, giving uh, around the, 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 the state uh, statement or something in the middle of the news. Someone interview in, inter, interrupted the, the screen, and uh, you know something around his uh, his head and a big X, and so and uh, everyone saw that he was shocked. So I can continue on and on and on. I don't know. A, a, a factory of, uh, of uh, iron in, in, the, in some place in, in Iran, 120 ton of, of uh, steamy uh, steel dropped instead to the right, to the left, and all the factory went uh, on fire. There are many ways to fight the Iranians, not only, as you said, uh, Gerald, by, by bom bombers. And not, not, Jacob, I, you're, you're, you're I'm touching not on something really war. interesting here. I'm no, not no, calling no, for I, war. I, I, I want to ask about Rob Malley in a second, but 
I want to put a pin in that one because of what you're touching on here. As we think about Rob Malley and the report from Iran International that he has met several times now in recent weeks with the Iranian ambassador to the United Nations, which the administration is not denying. And Jacob, it sounds like you're saying perhaps the Israeli side is bringing up uh, in the private meeting with Sullivan, which, which would be news. The uh, I don't know if they brought it up. I I hope they brought. I think they brought, but I don't. I, I don't want to say things from the closed doors. Well, the the question would be: I, I assume you believe it's possible this is happening. I believe it's it's happening. People are saying, well, they're not they're not confirming or denying, so you can't say it's happening until there's a confirmation. My question has always been: What is it that Rob Malley and those who are sort of in that camp espouse? that con- convinces, persuades somebody as smart as Jake Sullivan to say, well, we need to keep the door open. Well, maybe this negotiation is still possible. Maybe we can have a diplomatic solution here. The Iranians are just playing extra hard to get right now, uh, as, as crazy it might be to think that way. And, and one of the questions that I do get a lot from people is if Iran wanted a nuclear weapon by now, they would have a nuclear weapon. Right, you hear that a lot. That argument. This has been a twenty-plus year saga. This is not that advanced of technology in in the scope of the last century. At some point, you would think that they're either just playing a game to extort the international community and don't actually want to go to a weapon at this point because they could. And of course, the flip side to that is maybe that's not true. If you look in segments of the last twenty years. Maybe there are decisions that were taken because they were afraid or they were interrupted or they were set back, uh, whether it is the invasion of Iraq, uh, assassinations of scientists, cyber attacks, uh, a period of the JCPOA, and then, and then today. You obviously sat in a very, very unique position and seat over many years looking at this and looking at the Iranian advancement. Where do you come down when somebody says that to you? What is your response to that? That if they wanted a bomb, they would have it already. Do you believe they are still working to get a bomb? You, you, you opened many, many points. I have to go all of them. I'll start with the last one, but remind me to go back to our friend, our, our common friend, uh, Mali at the end. And what, what really, uh, you know, what Berner have in, in his back? Why, why, why is pushed to this idea? I don't agree with you. If the Iranians could have a bomb, they would maybe uh, having it again. Maybe they were, were not passing the the last mile, but they would be in a position that they would finish to do it. And the the atomic archive that we brought in 2018 showed us that when they stopped in 2003, the weapon system development, they were much closer. To the bombs in the world thought thought. Now, uh, now I can talk about it. I don't know. I don't want to to give uh, any criticism. But you know, our chief of staff before he left, he talked about the covert team that are working now is working now in Iran on the weapon system, and th- th- this is something that I would not uh, bring up if he would not say. But yes, there is a covert team now. Probably this team didn't get a, a final order from the supreme leader, bring me the weapon system. But they are working to be in the position then when will, he will give this order, they will be as close as possible. But as of now, if you ask me how much time they are from a bomb, 
forget about enrichment, forget about people are giving too much emphasis to 90%. I'll come to it in a second. Uh, like I, I, I talked this week a lot with the French people in Israel. Uh, I think that in enrichment, it's, it's behind us. We lost it. Not lost it, but we, we, have to, we, we have to confront it. We have to make sure that we can uh, operate against it. But we have to put our main emphasis now against the weapon system. So short to your question, no way. If they could do it, they would do it. They, they didn't do it for many reasons. In 2000, now I'm coming back to, to the previous uh, Jared question. The only way that the Iranians will maybe do what I just said before and, I don't know, close their program or halt it for a long time is only if they will feel that there is a credible military threat and not only Israeli but also American because the Iranian doctrine is, and I'm writing on it a lot, Rich probably saw it many times, it's, it's, their, their, their doctrine is based on four legs. At least one of them is totally mistaken, but there are some Israelis that are helping them to do this mistake. Their first leg is that U.S. is weak, Biden said so, and they are not going to attack Iran in any way, no matter what they're going to do. He said it in, uh, when he was elected. The second point, it's the one that are mistaken, is that Israel is looking on U.S. and they see that U.S. is weak and Israel cannot attack alone, so Israel will not attack. This is a mistake. But there are some very, very influential former Israelis that are interviewing and saying that we don't have the capabilities. The third point is that they can withstand the sanctions, and Rich knows the sanctions even better than me. For many, many years, their people are strong. They can live even if, with 500 real to dollar or more. They can withstand. They are a very, very strong country. The fourth one, important one, they don't see any sweat on their life, on their families, on their economy, on their army, on their, I don't call, I don't know how, how to call it more. They don't see any credible military threat on the regime. Take all these four points. No doubt, this is what they are doing in negotiations. They ask crazy things, and every time you think that the Worse of all is coming, and there is an agreement, there are more demands, more demands, and more demands. So, fortunately for us, it's like I call it law. We are, you know, I'm religious. So now we are in the Bible, in, in, in the place, in, in, in the Parashat Shavua, we call it, that Pero, no matter what happened, he wants more and more and more and more. It's coming for God, and you know, every time when we think that worse is coming to us, the Iranians are doing another mistake. Unfortunately, enough, there is not an agreement. Going back to Mali, look, this is his religion. Now, when Biden was elected, you just have to look on the people that he hired for this Iran uh, mission. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not a surprise that they are continuing the 2013 to 2015. Now, when you say Mali met this uh, ambassador, I'm telling you, and again, I'm not revealing any secret. I'm not. I'm not confirming or not. I'm assuming, but I have on what to count. Mali is meeting Iranians in Oman every time, all the time, Con constantly and continuously. He's, he's, he's meeting Iranians in, in Washington and New York and in, in Dubai and in Doha and every place when Iranians there are or Iranians and others 
mediators is meeting them, sometimes together with Europeans, sometimes alone. Look, I can tell you that I was talking to some French people this week. They told me, unfortunately, even so there was a big mistake with Trump withdraw, the, the, the JCPOA is dead. It's a mistake, but it's dead. So I told them, okay, it's dead. Where is the snapback? They are not going to do it. I told them, when you will do the snapback, if they will go to a 90%, this is our red line. I told them, look, don't put a red line on the table unless you are willing to exercise it if something happening. I am telling you, and I told them, read my lips. If tomorrow the Iranians are doing 90%, no snapback. They will, find the, they will find the reason why not to do the snapback. I have never understood that argument that I'm hearing about, well, we won't do the snapback because it's our leverage to stop 90%. Uh, as somebody who used to work on this file in government, I, I will just say that it has been my long impression that the deterrence to 90% was supposed to involve the United States military. And if it now only involves a letter to the Security Council, uh, we are in a very bad posture. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want the Security Council. You know, you know in, this, in this way, I think that we should demand to go to the Security Council. I understand, I don't agree, but I understand the American position. They're saying, we'll go to Security Council. Immediately, the Russians and Chinese will veto. The Iranians will say, okay, you tried to push us, now we have an excuse to go to 90%. Really, again, I don't care about the 90%. I'm not supposed to say so, but the 90% for me, it's not so important anymore. It's it became like it's a in the rear view mirror, uh, technically. It's, it's, I understand. It's, it's, it's I understand. It's, 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 Jacob, yeah. I have a yeah. question because you're somebody who sort of thinks a lot about this issue, as does Rich, and about the Iranian regime. Do you think that the Iranian regime, in so one, I, if you could talk a little bit more about how real the prospects for regime change are, but also the regime that is in power today, are they a rational regime? Do they make rational decisions? Because for me, that was always like the, the the threshold question. If they are, you could negotiate with them. And if they aren't, we're all, we've been wasting our time forever that there is no deal to be made because if they're not a rational regime, then like, th- then what are we talking about here? So I guess you could take them in any order. Do we think like, because we've been hearing about regime change in Iran for quite a long time and Alavai, it should only be true, but, but like, is this a real thing that could happen? And as do I, you think that as, the current regime is rational? Said, as I said before, it's a, it's a great question, but as, as I said before, I think it's the first time there is a change. A change. Ask me about percentage, I don't know, 20%, 50%, 25 right. It's not zero, but it's not more than 50 and it's less than 50 Now, what, what I mean is that uh, you're talking about logic and... and, and Look, people, this is the biggest mistake. Sometimes the Americans, sometimes the Israelis, sometimes everyone. You think that your logic is their logic. Mm-hmm. You think that your democracy is their democracy. You think that your human rights is their human rights. We are being mistaken in this area all the way. No. What Biden thinks about human rights is not what uh, MBS no, I, thinks. I, I get that. And, I, I mean, just. Their, their logic in their way. And okay, what, fair enough. The, the doctrine I said before, it's very logic. I don't think mm-hmm. it's logic, but for them, it's very logic. Now, talking okay. about regime change, again, I, I'm writing about, about it a lot. And as I don't know if you read, but the Iranians just uh, published uh, a criticism about Mark Dubovich and my uh, op-ed 
Uh, here you see Israel and U.S. are responsible for the riots in, in Iran because we wrote there four ways how Israel and U.S. I, I wrote it about Israel, Mark wrote about U.S. We should, should support the riots and, and end them. First of all, economically, we have to tell the people, don't count your banks. Go to the bank, take your money because the, your leaders already took all your money. There is no money in the banks. And we have to... Uh, uh, make sure that we are really, really trying to take down the banking uh, system, take down the real by pushing the bank. This is like the economically uh, take all your money. Second, in the intelligence area, and after we wrote it, two weeks later it happened. I don't know if because we wrote, I don't think so. But uh, we told them two things we have to take out. Give the plans of the passage and the IRGC out. I, I talked with my intelligence. I'm sure, I hope, Rich talked with America. Put it out. Where they are, where they are going to wait for you, your protesters? How they are going to uh, uh, work and, and, and fight against you? And give out the names of the judges that are killing people, hanging them, or the IRGC uh, leaders. It went out 35 judges and 400 IRGC people out in the press, out uh, in the in the open uh, in the open uh, air. In the operative way, I think that we have to uh, try to uh, not manipulate, but try to do, uh, disrupt some of the Iranians' uh, regime and country-size uh, capabilities, like on 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 the very very key. Industries like the oil and the gas and the uh, uh, iron and 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 and, uh, and uh, arbors and everything else and of course like cyber and other things and the fourth one and the fourth one and I'm not hesitating to say so we have to go also to the practical way to help them I'm not sure I passed my uh, government or my other you know Mossad help them really practically find a way to give them rifles. Machine. No, I'm not talking about uh, Iron Dome or, uh, or uh, anti-tank missile. I'm talking about the simplest weapons, rifles, uh, grenades, uh, machine guns. That's it. So when, they are, when the, the government, the besiege, the RDC are coming and killing them, so they will have something in order to defend themselves against those, uh, those forces. Look, even Biden just said two sentences lately. He said, we have to free Iran. And the second thing, he, he didn't know that he's being recorded, that the JCPOA is really dead, but so so. It's unfortunately Mali didn't hear what he said. And what just uh, Rich asked for Mali to not doing those this thing that he's doing now, he has to go home. So th there is no question why he's doing it. He's doing it because this is his job. And his bosses didn't tell him, stop it. He, they are still waiting for him to bring a turn. And I'm telling you, if tomorrow the Iranians are going back to the agreement that was on the table in the last uh, round in Vienna, five minutes later, the United States will join it. No problem. No doubt. It, with, uh, with everything that happened. In, now, see the absurd. See the biggest absurd. You know that this agreement was called the Putin-Olyanov agreement. And you know the, the, the relations between Russia and, and U.S. today. Now, 
the public opinion, I don't know where this uh, interview is going to be in, uh, aired, but the, the public opinion and the, and the public media, they're tired of hearing Iran, violation, IAEA, open questions, uh, uranium, uh, metal, all these crazy things that maybe Rich and me understand. Most of the people don't know what they're we are talking about, Vienna and other things. You have to be experts sometimes. They are tired. So it's really, I'm not bothering them what Iran, unfortunately. What just turned now, the, the round, is touching the really open nerve, mostly of the Democrats. It's human rights, it's killing women, girls, and doing it in Iran against the protesters, and doing it also in Ukraine by Iran helping Russia killing killing Ukrainian. Suddenly, suddenly the Iranians are very bad people. Suddenly. I, I agree with you. And it's interesting, Jacob, just as a quick segue here, we see from a readout and some reporting on uh, Jake Sullivan's meetings that he brought up uh, Russia and Ukraine. Obviously, there's been a lot of reporting and debate over Israel's posture in this conflict. Uh, we understand the context of Russia and their presence on the northern border, especially in Syria, equities longstanding involved in Russia's relationship with Iran and what Israel has done uh, to try to mitigate that relationship. And now increasing pressure from the international community for everybody to be all in to defend democracy, defend Ooh. Ukraine calls in Washington and Kiev on send the Iron Dome with a, you know, back and forth on obviously. Well, Rich, also, so, also, so, so my, also the new government saying they're no longer going to criticize Russia, right? Well, well, that, that that's right. But, you know, what's interesting is that the readout for Sullivan was that he's latching on to the linkage of Russia uh, and Iran as an impetus to say to Jerusalem, step up for Ukraine because this is in your interest. And yet I don't see it working in the opposite direction in Sullivan's mind of we need to abandon Iran, put maximum pressure on Iran because of that relationship. I'd love you to unpack today. How does Jerusalem look at Kiev? How does it look at Moscow today? Very good. And and give me also two minutes also to talk about Syria. Very, very interesting things are happening in Syria for the last week or two. And it's again, I can talk about it because it went out. I wrote a lot and. I have some uh, opponents, but I think this is the previous uh, government and also the, the current government decisions about sending weapon system to uh, to Ukraine. We have four reasons. Now, everyone is really love to talk about the fourth one. And the, the most important are the first three. And I'm telling you, the first three are also uh, true for the United States. But they can decide that they are putting them away and they are taking the risks. First reason is, it's not a question if, it's a question how much, how, uh, how many, and when. It's if you give a system to uh, Ukraine, it is going to be in the end of the Iranians. It's not a question of if, because it's a war. If a war, things are dropping. And two weeks after we talked about American systems, we saw those American systems in Iran. So Iron Dome is the, almost the most important uh, system to defend Israel. So you think we will give it to Ukraine, so it will go to Iran, so they will know how the Hezbollah and Hamas and others will defend against our uh, systems? It's 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 insane. So well, just also, for our, just for our listeners to clarify, you mean that it will be captured on the battlefield as part of an of a conflict, as other assets have been captured 
They won't be handed over. They'll be captured. It will be captured. The Russians owe it to the Iranians because the Iranians are giving them drones. They are giving them maybe ballistic missiles, so they will give it to them. The second thing, assuming the first one we can, I don't know, control, we don't have enough for ourselves. Uh, what do you want, Mas, to, to, to take a, a, a system from, from Birshiva or Shderot or, or, or Tel Aviv and send it to, to Ukraine? We don't have enough. And uh, opening a production line, it takes two to three years to open a new production line and produce those systems. The third reason, assuming you, you solve the first two, this is the order, is that it takes time to train them how to operate those uh, systems. See, the two Iron Domes that we sold to the army, almost a year and it's not operational yet. And now, now they're talking about sending them to Iraq. I don't know if you know, for the first time, maybe some, someone will know what, what Iron Dome can do and maybe they will change their decisions about the next 30 systems to take those Iron Dome systems for the United States to defend United States troops in the field. And only the fourth one, it's important, but it's only the fourth one, is that, yes, we have Russians in our area. They are our neighbors. There, are, there were some very good things about it, some bad things, but we still have full freedom, not full, almost full freedom in the north to do what we need when they are violating one of our three red lines. If we have time, we can talk about this one. But we don't want to put a finger in the eyes of the Russians. So, But this is only the fourth reason. And... Yes, we have to take in... The, the first three is also for the United States. Now they decided now to send Patriot. I didn't see Patriot going yet, but they don't have enough for themselves. The Patriot will go to uh, uh, Iran, and they have to train. Uh, the the, the Ukraine to, Ukrainians to... And I don't think they are going to send uh, American troops to uh, to operate. Now, look, look, go back to Syria. I don't know if you know, Iranians started to take out their systems out for Syria because they need them in Ukraine. They told the Syria they are not going to replenish the, uh, the air defense systems that Israel destroyed when they closed their uh, you know, radars on Israeli uh, planes or, or drones or UAVs. And Syria asked North Korea and Iran to send them replacements. They probably said no. At least uh, Iran, they don't have Yet, I don't know what will happen. Some people say maybe the Iranian systems will come. So we'll find, we'll find where they are and we'll have to take them down because we have three red lines. No trans, uh, transper, uh, transshipment of uh, game-changing uh, uh, game uh, weapons, mostly PGMs, precise guided munitions, from Iran to uh, Hezbollah via, uh, in Lebanon via Syria. No terror organization on our borders. No Iranians. Uh, settlements in uh, Syria. If one of these three is breached, according to foreign press, sometimes Israeli takes responsibility, sometimes not. We are acting. We told Russians. I, 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 I personally was with the Prime Minister and I was alone telling Putin when I was NSA six, seven. You want to be in, uh, you want to be in uh, Syria. You want to gain something economically. You cannot allow the Iranians stay because when when the Iranians will stay there, we will have to act. If we act, you cannot take the economical advantages and prices and coupons that you want to, to gain. But now the, the Russians are starting to go out. It's a, it's a problem because I'm afraid that the Iranians will go into the, the vacuum of, the, of those uh, Russians going out. So we still have a problem. The Russians are there to stay, but they are, you know, they are now uh, shrinking. 
the size of their uh, forces, they're taking out systems, they are not uh, bringing new systems. I don't know what will happen uh, there. Before, we came to a position that the Russians and the Syrians, yes, I'm not mistaken, the Russians and the Syrians were, were with us, working against the Iranians to push them out, because Assad understood, Putin understood, that it's bad for Syria, it's bad for Russia, if the Iranians will stay in Syria. Unfortunately, because of the Ukrainian war, this changed lately, unfortunately. So, Jacob, we like to do something called the lightning round, where we ask our guests questions to get a little bit better of a sense of who they are as a person. Um, And so they they seem to be lighthearted. So um, what is your favorite Yiddish word or phrase? And if it's a curse word, it's totally okay, as long as it's not in English. Boba Mainzis. Boba Mainzis. You know Boba Mainzis? Some I of do. The yeah, we got plenty of them. Some of the time people are, so I didn't want to say, you know, bullshit, because bullshit is not nice. But Boba Mainzis <laughs> is the nice word in Yiddish for, for bullshit. Boba Mainzis is if someone is telling you what he wants you uh, to, uh, so this is Boba Mainzis. This is what every time when, when I was, you know, my, my, my late father, he was uh, the, the only survivor from his family from the Holocaust. He died uh, almost uh, 20 years ago. He was 87. He, had, he always, always said that, look, I, I, saw, I see my son as a general. I can, you know, I can go now uh, peacefully and meet my, my, my parents that I don't know where they died. Maybe Auschwitz. Maybe. But he always said, don't be afraid to be strong. It's not a shame. We have, we have Israelis, you Jewish, we've been weak. See what happened. We have now IDF. I see my son, a general. I didn't believe, I didn't dream in when I didn't have what to eat in the World War II, that my son will be a general in an Israeli uh, defense forces in Israel. No way. So this was uh, is always a speech. Don't be ashamed to be strong. It's good. Okay, here's here's a very tough one. This is one that stumped the current prime minister of Israel. Well, it didn't really episode. stump. Wait, it didn't he, stump him. He just was well, being a can, active can you, politician. Can you, can you translate stump? Uh, he c- couldn't come up with an answer, or wouldn't, or would not come up with an answer, or refused to comment. I call it stoned. Okay. okay. Uh, the 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 question is: Do you have a favorite Israeli wine? Sure, I have a favorite Israeli wine. Everyone is laughing against me because I don't like red wine. If I, if I get red wine, I put ice in it, and my good French people almost killing me. I love only uh, wh- uh, white wine, but my favorite wine is sweet, not kiddush wine. We call it yain patishim. Like the, I like the uh, Ramat Agolan Aitz wine. If you don't know what is Aitz, it's like the Aitz, like the Can- Canadian have it. Very sweet. You have to uh, drink it very, very, very cold. It's called Aitz wine. It's very, not very, it's expensive. You cannot find it in every store. They used to have it in a lot of business. Unfortunately, they stopped because they don't have enough uh, 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 grapes that can do this one. You can buy it. Next time you are in Israel, I'm going to give you a bottle. I bought four of them. I told my children, every time when someone brings me his fiance, I'm going to open one. Three, I don't have any more. I'm still have the fourth one for my young uh, boy. Every time when my son-in-law or daughter-in-law came, we opened this uh, 
375 milliliter and you have to pay for it 150 shekels. Well, I'll Not tell you what, J.I., Jewish Insider yeah, I, has a wine, wine connoisseur. It's called Ice We have wine. a wine connoisseur. So we will make we'll get sure to right research that. this and we will have a link to it in our write-up with this podcast. It's, okay, it's okay, called, Jacob. It's called Ice Wine. They don't have enough of it in Israel. It's Ramat Golan. Right. Now I can give you... So there's a two day. things they don't have enough of. Iron Dome Dome's and Ice Wine. No, 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 now I can give you really, you know, something from inside. We've been in the Kremlin sitting in lunch with Putin. See how Putin is, is smart and sometimes... So everyone you know, is giving him a present to each other one. He, Putin brought us one of the first Bibles that was, you know, in some place. It's crazy. I, I, probably thousands of... We brought him a case of wine. This case of wine was from Ramata Golan. So we gave him the case. I see one of his uh, assistants go and put in, on, on, in Putin's uh, ear and tell Probably he told him, you know, this wine came from Ramata Golan. He said, eh, okay, he said with his end like this, forget it. But he tells him, bring something. About 10 minutes later, someone entered the room and brings us a case of wine. Putin gives us a, a case of wine. Where this wine came from? From Cremier. Oh. So we brought him, we brought him from the so-called occupied areas of Ramata Golan from his point of view. So he gave us a wine from Cremier. This is Putin. From his, that's kind of like a kind of cheeky, I guess the English would call yeah. that, right? That's cheeky. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, 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 I don't know what you call it, what is cheeky, but I call it, uh, you know. Nothing goes unnoticed. Below, yeah, below, exactly, below, exactly. It's, All it's, right. it's below, below, below the belt. Yeah. Jacob, what is your favorite Jewish food? It could be Israeli. It could be Ashkenazi. What's your favorite ethnic Jewish food? Look, my wife is not listening, so it's okay. Because I, I like fish very much. And every opportunity that I have, I eat fish because at home, fish is not entering. My wife ate fish and there was only one, one, one day in a year, in a year that a fish came to our home. It's Rosh Hashanah. So he, she's giving me, my children, my, everyone in my family likes fish. My wife don't. So I like fish. I like a very good all fish. Don't touch it with the head, with the tail, with all the bones. Give me, ask, ask Mark Dubovich, ask Jonathan. I have fish, chips, and mayonnaise. Give me those three things. I am totally, and again, I eat only kosher. So in the United States, you know, sometimes you go to restaurants that are not kosher. Always you can find this fins and scale fish, and you can eat your fin. Again, I'll give you an, a, a, a story. When I was the head of the military R&D and the minister of defense, I, I, I visited South Korea, and I was adding 40, 50 uh, people from the ministry. We came, big lunch. They knew that I can eat only fish, no meat, only kosher. So they, meet, they did fish, put the table. I asked, okay, what kind of fish it is? They gave me a name. No one from our group ever heard about it, you know, South Korean fish. I said, sorry, I cannot eat it. What we can do? Everyone cannot eat because if the general cannot eat, no one will touch the food. So I called them, you know what? Call the cook. Someone very, you know, he was trembling the first time he went from his cell, uh, from the generals. I told him, look, can you give me the raw fish before you cooked it? He said, what? Give me a raw fish. So he went down, brought me the fish. I looked, said, okay. This fish have fins and scales. I can eat it. 
So he looked at me and said, can I say something general? I'm working in the kitchen for 40 years. For the first time, someone asked me to bring the raw material before he can eat it. I didn't explain him what is the meaning of kosher, fin, scales, and other. So this is the story about fish. Jacob Nagel, the Jacob Nagel, thank you for joining us on Jewish Insider Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed you uh, allowing me to present my uh, point of view. I didn't see any difference between you, Rich, and Jared. You think all, 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 always the same, so it's okay. If you think not the same, I didn't feel, I didn't feel it. We, we save that for we save that for when you're not around. We, we, we save that. Ah, okay, no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Rich, if there's somebody who knows more about the Iran issue than you do, I think we just heard from him. And uh, it's about time, right? Because, you know, um, but, but, but in all seriousness, it's really, Jacob was fantastic, uh, really framed the issue in a way that maybe is a little bit different than a way a lot of American foreign policy folks and a lot of our listeners think about it, uh, particularly when we look at the view from Tehran, right? Like, I think for me, that was really interesting to hear um, that make sure that we're checking our own assumptions at the door when we when we go down this road of like, how's the Iranian regime going to react to this? How are they going to react to that? What are the prospects of regime change? And I, I really thank the professor and general for uh, for being with us. And two big takeaways for me from that conversation. Number one, both that this Iran international story about Rob Malley is likely accurate, may have been brought up. Uh, in in the meetings with Sullivan, that's something reporters are going to need to press the White House on uh, a little little harder than they have uh, so far. Non answers from the administration. And, and number two, uh, also uh, I thought very interesting looking at Syria and what is coming next. If Russia is starting to pull back, not reinforce, not replace assets there because of their distraction with the war in Ukraine, what is that vacuum? Uh, who is filling that vacuum? The Iranians. I would have thought this is actually a good thing for the Israelis, because if the Russians eventually sort of can't focus on on Syria, the Israelis would, in my view, have freer reign to do damage to the Iranian infrastructure there. They may be believing that actually the problem could get worse now without a superpower sort of pushing everybody around and forcing air power into the area on a sustained basis. That is something we'll have to watch and and really unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.